Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, For more information on Michael or myself or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Hi, and welcome to the show. This is Recovery Wednesday, and it is July the 27th, 2016. And our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Well, thank you, dear heart. Excuse the little noises there. We were sharing phone for a moment. And uh, we welcome everybody to the show. We're honored that you're here once again to talk with us about this awesome process of internal healing, of the removal of every energy, of every frequency, of every anger, fear, sadness, grief, pain, rage, drama, trauma that you've ever experienced. Did you know that is all totally and completely removable? And with Recovery Wednesday, we're in particular talking about to only the addicted folks, which I think on the planet probably numbers about 7.5 billion, being addicted to something and recovering the truth of who we are. Not recovering from a disease or a disorder, but rather, if you hold a newborn child, you know exactly what human life is. And when you say that child is love, you'll notice that the child is not loving you. The child is love. The directives that take us to healing, the first and most important one in the whole package is you've got to live in love. You've got to keep that space in your own mind, in your own heart, what everybody else is doing. And, and it means that you don't go to a meeting or you don't go to, you know, something, some gathering and go, oh, look what I learned, and then go back to the same old way. You actually integrate and carry forward the use of the tools. So there are many different forms of recovery that have come down the, down the, uh, the path over the centuries. And I have a, a question to look at. What do these different things have in common? The 12 steps of any recovery program, yoga, satsang, or the Catholic Mass. What do those things have in common? Well, it's interesting. If you look at the gathering at the Catholic Mass, 
the gathering is called liturgy. Guess what the word liturgy means in its origins? Now, that's been kind of lost, but guess what it means in its origins? It means our common work. Satsang, if you're not familiar with it, is a word out of the Sanskrit that comes from the East, where when people gathered together to do their common work, it was called satsang. And the word literally means to gather together near the truth. Pretty similar to liturgy. And yoga has as its purpose the recovery of the state of being, the coming back to the truth of who we are, recognizing who we are, and bringing forward the true whole healed self into the world. Now, of course, there are systems that because of their non-experience of the presence of love, thinks there's competition. There's somebody else that can get in the way. So they'll say, oh, yoga, don't you say that word? That's those, you know, heathens from the east. And, you know, I mean, the craziness that goes on. The truth is, all of these paths are working toward bringing back into the fullness of expression the truth of who you are as a human being. And we're here to create the support for ourselves, learning to recover the truth of who we are, to live as the act of presence of love, and to support you in doing the same. So we welcome you. We're honored that you're here. And, of course, each of the practices that we offer are offered in order to support people in living the truth of it. It's not enough to just practice on Sunday morning or, you know, at a meeting or whatever, on a yoga mat, and then go back to the old life the way it used to be. The whole idea is 24-7, 365, to learn to live as the active presence of love, which means that 24-7, 365, you've got bliss in your body. Now, if you don't have that, and I don't know anybody that's got that 24-7, 365 yet, and I include myself, of course, if I look back to early years compared to today, I've got more bliss than I can count. However... There's still work to be done. We're still moving forward in this process of reordering the content of the body's mind and removing what never belonged. So that's what we're here to support. That's what we're here to be part of and to support you in. Let's say uh, hello to Dr. Tim and see if he's got anything to share. Tim, are you with us? I am here. Oh, cool. Great. Wonderful. What's exciting in your world? Anything to report? Anything to share about Recovery Wednesday or anything that you're seeing in the uh, in the practice world that uh, would benefit everybody from learning about? Well, I think I really like the the way it's helped me with a lot of different people use the phrase recovery and what we're recovering is not recovering from a disease, but we're literally recovering the memory that our true nature is this energy of creation, this energy of love. So that's been a big help. We had our group last night. We had five people plus me, and we had a kind of wrapping up the Guy Finley presentations, his talks in the pines this summer, and he was answering questions from people. Um, and so... We sat and listened to about an hour of that, and then we had our own question and answer session. And, um, you know, it's just, I just want to say one more time, it is such a blessing to be surrounded by such hardworking, intelligent, loving people. 
and these are people who are coming whenever they show up on a Tuesday to make their world better, to recover more of the awareness of their true nature as love, and to actively work to remove all of the garbage and all of the errors in thought, whether they inherited them from their bloodlines or they've come into them in this lifetime. And it's just a very uh, a deep blessing for me to have access to not just one but two such groups of people and to get deeper and deeper understanding of these tools each time I hear them. And um, I, I was listening to one of the old Internet shows this morning on my bike ride, and I, I just want to put in a plug for this. If you're not accessing the archives and you know using that to put good stuff into your mind when you're driving in a car or walking or doing housework, I think you're missing the boat because there's some wonderful, wonderful material. And when you, Michael, when you're working with somebody who is clearly deeply triggered and who feels like their their world is falling apart and you get to listen to Michael holding the space of love and just doing the same simple process over and over again, redirecting the thought and to watch people go from, you know, it, it sounds like from their voice and, and their tears that we should be calling 911, get the paramedics over there, get get some emergency help to this person. And three to five to seven minutes later, the entire energy has cleared and there's a lightness in their voice and or they're laughing. And over and over and over again, people can get exposed to what's this simple process and here's a living example of it in action. So that's my offering for today. Please, you know, if you have any stress, difficulty, upset in your life whatsoever, use this free tool of going back through the archives, picking a show and just listening to it and and watch watch how it can give you another layer of insight to these powerful tools. That's my offering for today. Fabulous. Well, I guess when I started out and I asked the question about what does the Catholic Mass and the Satsang and the 12 Steps and the uh, Yoga have in common, we could say, in a Mind Shifter support group and this radio show. It's all liturgy. It's all doing our common work, coming together to process through. And it always amazes me, as you're talking, Tim, just how quickly the largest traumas in the world can just disappear when they're exposed to love and and people are finished with it. I mean, it's just amazing. It's amazing. And so I join you in inviting people in. You know, we've got over five years, we're almost six years now of radio shows. We started actually January 1st, six years ago. And, you know, just dig up, you know, have a calendar and uh, just go through the calendar and put your finger on a date, Monday to Friday, and listen to that show. You will be guided to the right shows to listen to. 
I know that way back, 35 years ago, I was in for a lot of dollars doing Course in Miracles. We never had a structure of, oh, we're going to do this lesson Tuesday, we're going to do that lesson Thursday, we're going to do this, that, that. It was always somebody come in and what's up in your life? Whatever the question was, that's where we'd go from. If nobody had a question, then it was just, you know, we'd have maybe 150, 160 people in the audience. I'd just say, okay, somebody shout out a number, 212. You go to page 212 and bang, it was just, it was always just right on. So you can trust yourself to be guided to the calendar. Pick a date, go back in the archives, you know, go to whyagain.org and just flip back through the dates. And you know, if you click on the microphone, you'll see where the archive link is. And the, uh, the shows are pretty awesome. I feel so blessed that we have that backlog of information that now is eternally available, digitized and spreading around the planet. It's pretty cool. Pretty sweet. And Tim, the, the thought occurs that maybe uh, if there's anybody in the Chicago area that might be new to the show, that maybe you could explain to us where and when your two support groups are so that people know how they can tap into the work there locally and get support. All right. Well, Tuesday night it's held in Woodstock, Illinois, 225 West Calhoun at the Unity Spiritual Center. <laughs> in Woodstock, and you can find that easily enough on the web by just searching for Unity of Woodstock. And then on Thursday nights, it's here in my office in Crystal Lake, Illinois, at 800 McHenry Avenue, Suite B, and both groups run from 6.30 to 9. And um, the way it's currently running, the Tuesday group runs anywhere from last night was quite low i mean it's we do hit these ebb and flows in the summer so there were five people plus me but we've been up to um, 15 or 16 people plus me at different times throughout the year so it can be a larger group there and here in my office on thursdays it's usually somewhere between two and, and five people and myself so 6.30 to 9, Tuesday and Thursday, one in Woodstock and one in Crystal Lake. What a gift. What a gift. Well, Gene tells me, well, let's check in and see if Gail has anything to share with us first before we go on to, uh, to that. Gail, are you with us? I am here. Oh, Cool. What's exciting in your world, young lady? It was good to uh, to be in St. Louis and to uh, to see you at the workshop on Friday night, and then to get together and have lunch on Sunday. That was awesome. Absolutely, it was an honor and privilege to be able to see you and Jeannie twice, and share a meal with you twice in less than a week. That was awesome, and that was a luxury for me since I'm isolated down here in South Central Illinois. <laughs> so that was great. And to be able to see um, other faces, um, people that I'd met during intensives, being able to see Doug and Diane twice, um, being able to see Marcia, and then finally be able to meet Suzanne Tucker and, you know, see her face and her, see mine because um, we've talked to each other on the phone. So that was great. It was a treat. It's a really sweet sure. community that's developing in there, and I really uh, hold the space that's going to expand. I'm hoping that we, <clears throat> pardon me, are able to 
set up a full two weeks in September when we get back there so that uh, everybody in the area will have access to at least 11 different workshops so they can really energize people and get things rocking and rolling and uh, if things work out there in Vandalia to come and do something there as well. Yeah, that would be great. That would be fantastic. Definitely. Um, as, as far as your question is concerned, you know, um, what do all these different spiritual modalities have in common? Um, I would even add when two or more are gathered together, um, it kind of what the um, the minister was talking about on Sunday is that the the um, the presence of God is guaranteed to be there um, it, when people are together. And I had a pretty intense conversation with Vini this morning, um, processing through some things and letting go some energy. And I'd like to tie that into the conversation that we had on Monday about guilt, even going to a place of shame and and recognizing the guilt and shame that we hold and how we um, perpetuate that by attracting more guilt and shame by beating ourselves up and putting ourselves in situations to experience more of that. And when two or more people could get together and process through those energies and release that, um, that that has the same effect of, um, you know, a meeting or a mass or the other things that you mentioned as well. Liturgy. And, and the other, oh, go ahead. Oh, just one word, just liturgy. It's, it is really, truly our common work. And, you know, sadly, some things have kind of gone in another direction where it's not about doing the work. It becomes about some kind of belief system or dogma or doctrine, and the work gets forgotten. And uh, to bring it back to the truth of what it's about, I think, is very important. And uh, in, in some circles, people jump on it and go, yay. In other circles, people are like, don't come near me with that. I don't want to look at anything inside of me. I've already figured it out. The problem is them, and I'm not asking any more questions. <laughs> so, so it's interesting to watch how people respond and how other people just gravitate. And I know when I first became involved in this kind of work and this kind of thinking, wild horses couldn't get me away. I had three businesses. I had 60 employees. I worked 17 hours a day, nine days a week, almost literally. But wild horses couldn't keep me away when I touched them with this vibration. It was just, I knew I had to go, and I moved mountains. It didn't matter what I had to do. I did it. That was just the way it was, and uh, I haven't looked back. So. Well, the other thing that I wanted to touch on as well is that you mentioned um, living in bliss. And one of the things that I learned by reading Marianne Williamson's book, Return to Love, which I believe is based on her study of The Course in Miracles, is that she mentioned one of the biggest passages that impacted her and it impacted me as well is the um, the definition of a miracle and, and that being a change in perception moving from fear to love. And I... Um, was dragged to church ever since I could remember. Um, I was raised Episcopalian. I was baptized Episcopalian. And my mother dragged me to church every day. I could remember since I was two, every Sunday. And I didn't see, I, I saw the hypocrisy in my mom. Um, she was a single mom. She was in relationships with different people, men. 
and it would be like she'd kick the man out of the week out of her bed. It wasn't quite that bad. Um, and then it, then we would go to church and, and then listen to the sermons. And as a child, we watch people and I didn't have the word for it, but I saw hypocrisy. I saw hypocrisy in my own home with my mother's behavior. And I saw hypocrisy within the members of the church and, and I became obsessed over the communion wine, so that there's the there's the alcoholic in the making there when they would pass the goblet <laughs> around or whatever. Over the communion wine. That's funny. <laughs> it, it, That's funny. It's true. <laughs> I couldn't wait to become confirmed <laughs> so I could have that. But I would watch I <laughs> I would watch the ministers being able to drink what was left over after the goblet was passed around and um and it was very confusing. And so after I was physically able to rebel against my mother um, at about the age of 17, I'm not going to church. You know, I'm just not going. Um, that, um, And then when I got into Alcoholics Anonymous, that was when I was able to have those changes in perception that um, and, and have those miracles, be able to touch spirit, to be able to to experience that bliss, have those spiritual experiences. And I had way more of those. Um, one of the ministers was an alcoholic, and he, um, probably after drinking communion wine, but he set up an AA meeting in the rectory in the back of the church, and I had more spiritual experiences in the rectory in the back of that church as an adult than I did in the front of the church. And so I just wanted to, you know, to share that experience. Um, and I'm having, I, now using these tools, the Aramaic forgiveness, every time that I do a worksheet, I consider a worksheet a prayer because in the process of doing steps five and six, I'm able to set a trap for God and feel that, feel the energy moving, see the unconscious content that is is there that needs to be released that is making me well not making me create but um is why I'm creating what I'm creating outside of me um that brought me that triggered me to do this worksheet to begin with so i I have a spiritual experience or I have a miracle or a change in perception every time I do a wake up sheet It's what forgiveness does for sure. And one of the issues that you brought up is the issue of hypocrisy. And uh, I just want to put out that and, and be really clear, I'm a hypocrite. And I know that you're Me a too. hypocrite. And I know that Jeannie <laughs> is. I know Tim is. I know Rex is. I don't know anybody who's not a hypocrite. I don't know anybody that can live this 100% of the time. And so one of the things to be, be careful of is don't, you know, to let loose of judgment of a teaching because the people who hear it can't live up to it. In fact, if one is really doing their work, they will be more hypocritical than the average person who isn't doing their work. And the reason for that is because each time we do a piece of work, we come to a new level of vitality. At a new level of vitality, we're able to see a new vision. But you can't embody that vision until that which blocks it is gone. 
And so the process, each new level of vitality, means that, oh, yes, I have this vision. That's how I could do it. Am I able to do it yet? No. But as I do my work and process through that, I make room in myself to be able to do that. It's interesting in the Lord's Prayer, one of the lines can be properly translated from the Aramaic as, carve out a space in me for your wholeness. Asking, making petition to the Creator, carve out a space in me for your wholeness to show up, to arrive. And, of course, as each new piece of wholeness shows up, there's if we if we weren't incarnating it already, then there's something blocking it, and there lies the hypocrisy. So it's a natural state, a natural condition of anyone doing their work. And uh, and if I have someone who is such a hypocrite that I go, boy, they are just oh, there's my next piece of work. There's, you know, I just yeah. get to, I just get to keep coming back to me and going, oh, brother. <laughs> so cool, good insights. Good insights. Well, anything else to share with us from the 12-step work in particular? Anything in particular in your mind today in that regard? Well, I will tie this into our conversation that we had on Monday. I, I mean, I was listening. I'm um, not participating. You're, right. you're talking about guilt and, and how guilt brings about more guilt. And, um, and, and guilt is considered a character defect in the 12-step world. And one of the things that I learned about guilt, I listened to a um, a speaker, and I wasn't yet sober. I was bouncing in and out of um, of twelve step meetings, and um, I heard this lady speak, and she was somebody that I looked up to. And probably about the time that I did get sober, she had twelve years of sobriety. And one of the things that she talked about was about how she was as a mother, and that. Um, while she was drinking, she put her children in dangerous situations that was still affecting them at that time, and that she had guilt, and that she learned through working the 12 steps that she needed to react to them through God's will and and what God would want them to do, opposed to reacting out of guilt, um, because that's two separate ways reacting out of guilt can cause a lot of harm even though the intention is to um you know make amends or or whatever so she i ran into her and i learned a lot from that because i always heard her voice when i would want to react to my children out of guilt and um and then I'd ask myself, am I am I reacting out of out of love? You know, tying um, into what God's will is for me in this situation, or am I acting out of guilt? And I and then I went to a meeting when I was returning my daughter's car to her um, a couple of weeks ago. I went ahead and went to my home group that is in where I'm originally from, and I ran into her. And originally, I was like, eh, I don't want to see her. And then I was like, oh, you owe her amends. Okay, God, what do you want me to say to her? You know, uh, give me the time and the space and and the words to make my amends to her. And um, what I found out during this meeting is that she relaxed. And she was approaching, she's approaching a year of sobriety coming up in in August if, if she makes it. And um, somebody that I looked up to 
And what she ended up doing was what she talked about during her speaker meeting is that she succumbed to the guilt um, of what happened to her daughter while she was drinking. And she was trying to save her daughter from, from using. And um, she ended up using herself based on um, the stress and of trying to save her daughter and the guilt, shame, and remorse that she she had for herself. And so that's what guilt and shame can do to us is that we, in order to cover that up and mask that, we'll drink some, we'll drink and, and use drugs or chemicals in order to cover that up. And then we'll end up doing something that creates more guilt and shame. And, um, right. And of course, guilt is the end result of a thought. You know, to recognize that guilt is simply the physiological warning signal that there's mind energy, there's a thought happening in the system that doesn't belong in the system. I'm getting some feedback, I think, maybe from your phone. If you could push your mute button while you're not speaking, it might be a little quieter. Okay. So, So guilt is the end result of a thought. And so if she's feeling guilty around her daughter and doesn't allow her or any of us, I don't allow myself to access the thought behind the guilt and change it, then that guilt is probably going to become so intense that's what's going to motivate, oh, I need something to cover this up. This is just getting too painful. And I think that in a lot of circles, what happened was that where people were doing liturgy, where people were doing their work together, people would show up in guilt and they would do healing in that space and people would look and say, ah, look, their lives got better. It must have been because of the guilt. I think there was a, a mistaken shift there. And, and so the shift became, here's what we'll do. We'll program people with guilt in advance and then they won't do that. But again, as we said on the show the other day, guilt precedes the action. One, generally speaking, has been brainwashed and programmed with guilt or has genetic guilt about something before there's enough energy attraction to do that behavior. And as one dismantles the guilt, the shine, the energetic dynamic of that behavior gets weaker and weaker and weaker and it becomes less and less attractive. I'm reminded of a a brief story in the movie The Life of Pi. If you haven't seen The Life of Pi, it's awesome. But this man is a Hindu man, and he's become a Catholic. And so at one point he talks about how, you know, in the Hindu tradition there are millions of gods, and then he became Catholic, and so now he gets to be guilty in front of millions of gods instead of just one. So it's kind of a funny tongue-in-cheek line. But, but guilt has no place in the pathway of healing except to warn us that there's a thought about self or others that as long as it remains within us unchanged is going to produce the pain of guilt. And whenever that pain of guilt is moving in us, that energy is going to be sprayed on whoever we're looking at, whoever we're thinking about. 
And when I have the tools and I drop down, when I use the, in particular, the forgiveness process, and I drop down into the hidden part of my mind where the thoughts are that produce the feeling of guilt, then I can change that part of my mind, and that's where the healing occurs. And so, lest anybody has gathered the idea that guilt is beneficial, there is no benefit to guilt. Now, if one's guilty, one can, with the presence of love, turn that into an opportunity to heal a part of the mind. But the guilt itself has no benefit. It's the choice to heal that part of the mind and shift the game out of guilt into love. So that's what we're here to do. Does that fit with your experience, Gail? Absolutely. And that is something that we examine, you know, when we do our four-step, when we do our inventory, um, to look at where we have acted out of guilt and shame. And then um, something that we talked about in step five, and then it's something that we're willing to let go of in six, and that's something that we let go of in step seven. It's definitely... A motivator for me um, is definitely something, um, some of the questions on the personal code evaluation, do I feel better after I've been punished, you know? Right. I think that I think the first couple of times that I took that, it's like, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, um, and, and, and that has changed. And I, I, that is something that I need to look for and is most definitely a dynamic that I need to dismantle and is, is, was the topic of conversation that I had with Jeannie this morning. It's more about shame. Um, shame is feeling bad about us, who we are as people, and guilt is feeling bad about for something that we did. And, um, well, I have both. And so, you know, just working with somebody else to dismantle that and look at the truth of the situation um, to move forward and being given some direction on um, worksheets and and um, and writing work that needs to be done in order to dismantle that. So for sure, that was right on target for me. So I am complete. I am complete. So if there's other people, I will put myself on mute and I will listen. Well, I'm not hearing Michael. I'm not either. (laughs) So if he's there or if he's dropped off, we'll wait temporarily until either Jeannie or Michael comes back on. But, yeah, last night in, in our group something triggered the brain cells in me to talk about this whole uh, conditioning process I went through when I was a Catholic, little boy in, in Catholic school, and it was six days a week because we went to Mass every weekday before school started and then on Sundays. And I forget what it was, what triggered this recently in the past month or two. I had this full body kind of awakening, realizing, knowing about how deeply we were conditioned to believe we were bad, we were to be punished, that because we were bad, that's why that person was hanging on the cross up there, that it was through my fault, through my most grievous fault, etc. Every day they had us as children, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade. 
pounding our chests and saying, we're the ones who are at fault, we are bad, and because we're bad, that's why God had to send his son to be tortured and killed, and that's on us. So the conditioning of guilt and blame and being less than and being evil at our core is really strong and you know, ultra strong in some religions, but for most religions that I've run across at some level or another, it, even if it's less, if you go to a different Christian um, group, it's slightly less. But there's still the idea that there's hell waiting as a punishment and all that good stuff. So there's a lot of years of conditioning for me to undo, to wake up to, to recover the truth of my my nature and and the loving nature of you know the gentle loving teacher that is the creator so those are the brain cells that got started up for me Michael are you back I am Mike I just my phone just disconnected but anyway and to to look at that language it wasn't just through my fault it was through my most grievous fault. That was the third one. That's the one that came with the heavy pound on the chest. My most grievous fault. I mean, give that one to a kid and let them wrap their brain around it. How how crazy, how bizarre is that? That that's what we've been programmed and structured with. It's pretty uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. And, and time and for, for recovery of the truth. Go ahead. Well, for years it was being put in in Latin, and then for years it was put in in English. So I'm I'm a bilingual self hater, <laughs> like like pie and, and got to be guilty in front of millions of gods. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. The biggest culpa you can get. <laughs> that was mine. Yep. And you know, and and you look at that whole idea. You know, there's nothing in the scriptures about a re- the idea of original sin. That's a totally made up concept. Um, Augustine actually came up with that one. Augustine was, I won't use the word that describes his behaviors, but he lived a life that was quite raucous with the ladies. Let's say that in his early life, and then he had his conversion experience, and. He actually came up with the idea of original sin as a way to assuage his guilt. Oh, I had original sin. That's why I did all that with those ladies. See, and it was the, it was a way to avoid responsibility for the choices that he'd made or the decisions that he'd made. It's just kind of interesting. And uh, time to let it go and recognize that we are totally, completely, literally made in the image and likes of love, the offspring of love. And... You know, have we all fallen off the wagon there? Yeah, more than once. And it's time for us to individually and collectively get right back on the wagon and and function truly as human beings. Remember a couple of years ago, Jeannie and I were in Fort Lauderdale, and we went to a a very large, actually a televangelist church in Fort Lauderdale. You'd know it if I mentioned it. And we happened to be there the day that they were inducing several kids. I don't remember, 8 or 10 or 12 kids. And their ages were probably 10 to 13, 14, into the church. It was a membership, you know, initiation. And I, it was just, to me, it was just so appalling to sit there and hear this 
man in front of about 5,000 people inviting each of these kids as a condition of becoming members of the church to acknowledge that they were sinners. That's where you had to start. I am a sinner. Excuse me. I am made in the image and likeness of love. So are you. The other part's a lie. Have I done things? And remember that word sin, of course, in Aramaic is an archery term. When you fire at the bullseye and miss it, just cork your yell sin. It simply means off the mark. Have I ever been off the mark? Absolutely. Will I probably be off the mark again? Probably. But that's not who I am. That's not an identity. You know, that to me, that is like one of the worst tragedies that ever been, has ever been done to children to get them to buy that identity and uh, and everything that goes with it. So time for healing, time for liturgy. And, of course, that's the idea of this radio show is to come together to do our work and the gift that each person gives when they delve into a particular piece of work and to walk through it is a gift to everyone in recognizing that recovery of the truth of being, of the active presence of love, means the forgiveness of everything that is less than love. And so that's what we're here to support, here to do. So let me check with Jeannie and uh, see if she's got anybody with a hand up. Uh, She's still stuck on a tech support phone call, so she's been kind of partway with us and partway not. But let me just uh, call to her. She's in the other room. Okay, area code 336, you are on the air. Give us a name. Where are you calling from? Hello, 336, you're on the air. I think I heard your paper shuffling. 336, give us a name. Where are you calling from? How Is that me? You? That's you. Oh, I accidentally pushed the button. I'm so sorry. Oh, well, then we get to talk to Tracy. How are you, young lady? Well, I'm having some vision issues. I was calling last week to ask you to read the vision statement, and um, we ran out of time. And then yesterday I was at the doctor, and I didn't get to call in. So um, any chance you'd be willing to do that? And, And tell me what is it you're asking me to do? You have this vision statement thing that that talks about your vision, and it's something we can buy, but you were talking about you didn't, I think you said you didn't have them ready, or there might be some back at Heartland, but anyway, Julie was telling me about it, Right. and um, so I was going to see if you would read it. Sure. It's actually a poster that I created to work with my own sight and vision, which are clearly two different things. And so let me walk through to the other room. And I've got one posted on the wall here. And I'll read it to you. Okay. And it, uh, it's um, set up so that uh, there are many different typeface sizes, some that are easy to read and some that are smaller and smaller and smaller, and so you'd have to have super eyes to see them. But the uh, the title of the poster says, I love have perfect vision. My being now sees and comprehends everything in my life clearly. And that's repeated. And the typeface gets smaller and then it gets smaller and then it gets really small. 
So training the brain that it's okay to interpret and show you things through your eyes that uh, otherwise they might not do. And the next session, section says, it is safe and healing for me to perceive and integrate the truth. And once again, that gets smaller, smaller, smaller. My eyes now show me the truth with perfect clarity. And so that one reduces in size, reduces in size. And then the, the body of the, um, the poster, the main part of the poster, is a paragraph that says, I am love. I have been placed in this world by love an eternal being designed by the creator for eternal life. Love designed this energy system to function perfectly as my eternal home. I reflect perfect love and well-being. Living, moving, and having my being in love's energy field means that love is induced in every cell of my being continuously. As I align with my purpose, that love perfects every cell and its function. As I engage more and more in love's presence, I'm inclined by Rukadukucha to say and do only that which supports active Rachma in my eternal life. <coughs> Since love wills me perfect peace and perfect vision, any blockage of truth is undone, and I see clearly and fully. I willingly forgive anything unlike the conscious active presence of love so that my vision and purpose align and guide my perception and behaviors. So that's the body of the center of the poster. And then below that, I am in my prime, which is eternal. It is safe to see and perceive the truth through the perfect eyes of love. Love gives me vision. And then that's repeated several times. And then the last line of the poster says, love is my vision. Mm. So that's the poster which we are working on having replicated. It's, um, I don't know, 18 by 24, something like that. So it's something to put up on the wall and just, you know, stand as close as you need to and work with, and all the while giving your brain permission to uh, construct uh, information that accurately shows you what's on the poster and empowers you to have both vision and sight. Yeah, beautiful. Well, I'm doing worksheets cool. on the whole fear thing still and keeping it um, going. It's just a, a daily, you know, struggle not to be afraid. And um, uh, that's the... You know, it's like, it's sort of like looking out from inside me is I notice when, I, when I'm better, I have a whole different outlook. And when I'm worse, I go right back into the fear. And it's amazing to me how quickly, um, you know, I'm watching myself checking, 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 you know, looking out one eye, looking out the other eye, and... And when it's great, it's like I'm all positive and joyous and think I'm getting well. And then when it isn't, I'm like, oh, my God, 911, terrified. And I'm present to watching myself go through this judging and assessing and, and um, presencing for myself that the the circumstance doesn't have to take my bliss like the if I can stay connected to love 
I can experience joy regardless of the circumstance that's that I'm looking through um, and right. how my vision is. But it's it's very challenging because I have that propensity to figure it out, call the doctor, figure out, you know, take action, do something. It's like crisis management, which is a lot of my worksheets are around, you know, always doing, doing, doing to avoid feeling. And that's right. kind of been my, you know, work, 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 busy, 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 busy. So I've, I've learned a lot through um, the the process of this last couple of months of of getting a lot of help with my worksheets, and so I'm uh, like very grateful for that. Yeah. Yes, accolades to Julie. Yeah, for it's that. been yes. invaluable. Fabulous. So, so one of the things to recognize a principle is that in the mind, whatever is vibrating is what's real at the moment. And whatever is vibrating is a reflection of and creates physiology simultaneously. You know, there's a researcher named Braun who worked with multiple personalities. And he had one particular research project he did was with a woman who had diabetes. So this woman's got full-blown diabetes. If you don't give her her insulin... Uh, at the right times, she's going to die. Right. And and she's a known multiple personality, which means, you know, persona is a Greek word which comes to the root, a mask, and it's what's vibrating in the mind at the moment. So they take her into the laboratory. They've got her hooked up to all the equipment. There it is. She is a diabetic. At least that would be the pronouncement, pronouncement of the, the medical world. And then they induce a personality shift. She's a known multiple. Now, multiples usually are people who have been severely abused physically, mentally, emotionally, sexually, whatever, as small children. And they develop different personas, different masks, different packets of mind energy that enable them to work through whatever the abuse is. And so this woman's a known multiple, and if you resonate one of her other personalities, she'll shift out of her normal persona. In other words, what's vibrating as an energy packet representing her persona and her physiology changes. When they induce a personality shift, she has no symptom of diabetes whatsoever. If they gave her insulin, it could kill her. No diabetes. So when the energy packet of persona A is what's governing the energy system, she's diabetic. When persona B takes over, there's no diabetes. Wow. So what you just told me, what you just told me in your description is, that your eye challenge is made up of your terror. Mm-hmm. So I'd offer that when your eyes are bad, you're not terrified. When you're terrified, your eyes go bad. That is, no. you compromise the energy pattern right, of right, your Right, right, I eye get it. It's a vibration of fear that's making it worse. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So you don't have a problem with your eyes. You have a problem with terror. Yeah. 
And so oh. and notice that when things are going well and your vision is seeing, it's the, the vibration, the persona that accompanies that is everything's cool, I'm rocking, things are good. But yeah. when this other persona starts to move, your physiology shifts. The idea of this work is to forgive and and access every frequency of the generations that could possibly produce things like terror and fear. Literally removing those frequencies, then they're not there to be activated any longer and to impact the cells that reflect the particular energy that's governing those cells at any given moment. So if you'd be interested, I've got a great mind shift that I think you'd find really useful. Okay, let me get my Sharpie. Sure. And while you're getting your Sharpie, for anybody who's new to the work, uh, I'll just explain what a mind shifter is. A mind shifter is a thought about an issue in your life around which you have negative thoughts, and it's the opportunity to surface process and release the negative thoughts. So that's the definition of a mind shifter. And what you want to do when you design a mind shifter is you want to come up with a frequency, a statement that represents a frequency that will resonate what's in hiding so that it comes forward for healing. Okay, ready. It's not necessarily a positive thought or a negative thought, it's just coming up with the right frequency that will resonate that which is in hiding. And just like the persona shift, when they got the right frequency to cause this woman's persona to shift, she moved out of diabetes into a healthy pancreas, literally changing the structure of the pancreas. So the idea of what life does is life kind of acts like a mind shifter. It senses a continuous flow of people and circumstances that will give us the opportunity to forgive those frequencies in us that don't belong. And so that can be kind of long, long, hard route to doing it. So a mind shifter just kind of short circuits the process and lets you go right to the root of whatever it is that needs to be dealt with. So the mind shifter I would suggest is... And I'll, I'll, let you, I'll invite you to breathe and everybody else, because this will be a shocker probably. It's safe and healing. And I will be having a blast when I'm mm-hmm. blind. Oh, my God. <laughs> breathe. <sighs> yeah, that's the, that's the breath that heals. That's the breath that reaches down, reaches down into the genetics, down into the cell, down into the emotion, pulls the energy out, and peels off a layer. You just peeled off a major layer of that. Oh. <laughs> I can't even say the word blind. I understand. I understand. <sighs> And getting to the point where you could say it and it rolls off your tongue like it means nothing will mean there's nothing left in you that could cause blindness. (sighs) 
So you've got a whole community of people from all over the globe right now that are just focused on Tracy and supporting you in opening up and letting loose of whatever this is about at its core. Thank you. First breath, that's the one that peeled the layer off. The other ones haven't haven't moved another layer of energy yet. The wall the space it. There's another layer or two to come. Okay. All right, well, I'll start writing. Well, and know that we will be just right here holding the space. Thank you so much. I got my CDs today. Awesome. Or DVDs or whatever they are. I got a big package in the mail today, so I think I have laws of living now. Yeah, You do. You do. It should be in that package. And my apology for it, uh, taking the time it took to get to you. I don't know what happened to the first set, but second set. Okay. That's awesome. All right. Okay. Thank you, Michael. Thank you all. All right. We appreciate the blessings. Bye-bye. So what kind of things can come up when you've got the right mind shifter in in mind? Hopelessness, helplessness, terror, trauma, suicidal thoughts, all sorts of things can surface. And the idea of a mind shifter is that if those kinds of thoughts are in you, you want to surface them, you want to access them. You know, who knows? Maybe it's somebody great, 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 great grandfather who faced that situation and lost his sight. And in the genes is the terror and trauma. Who knows what someone who was blind, you know, 200 years ago would do if they were in a situation where they didn't have any support. And so if that happens to reside in the genes, then something in life that triggers that energy into motion will impact the physiology and produce the restriction in the eye and bring up the emotions that have been unresolved from those many generations ago. And so the idea of this work is to develop skill and the ability literally to go into every nook and cranny of the mind, the emotions and the genes, be able to decode what's there, breathe into it, and let it go. Replace it with the active presence of love, which literally creates a transformation in the cell that changes absolutely everything. And we're here to support you in changing absolutely everything. If you're ready to go to another level, we'll be starting, gee, next week. We'll start with a 10-day food fund, 9-day why is this happening to me again, 3-day personal code evaluation training, and then a 16-day laws of living. If you're ready to take your work to the next level, we're going to have a small group at Heartland this year with not having been on the road, and we'd love to have you here. In the meantime, we hold the space that you're creating the best year yet of your eternal life. It is an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings, and we hold the space. Play the outro. <laughs> <laughs>